Well, thank you very much for the introduction. Appreciate each and every one of you here. You can remain standing. Uh, Psalm chapter 19 is where we're going to begin this morning. Psalm chapter 19. Uh, the last time I was able to be here, it was actually March of 2020, a year, a year and a month. Probably many of you, I uh, heard the senior classes here of that uh, group. And so uh, many of you probably want to forget, but actually it was probably a time that brought you closer to each other, closer to the Lord, not knowing exactly what would take place. But it was here in March of 2020 that I was able to preach a message uh, and that message was, uh, don't put a question mark where God puts a period. And uh, not knowing exactly what would take place in all of our lives and all of our ministries, but knowing that God is in control of every situation and we don't need to question what God has for us. And so uh, that message now has been even uh, more real in my life because of uh, what took place in the, the years to follow and so forth. And so uh, grateful to be back and to preach chapel this morning. Psalm 19, and we'll begin reading in verse number 7. Psalm 19, verse 7, the Word of God says this, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Shall we pray? Lord, I thank you so much for the truth of the Word of God. I pray it will be a help to us today as we look into it. I pray, Lord, that you would guide my tongue. I pray that you would give me the words to say. And, Lord, I pray that you would just... Bless the time that we have in the next few moments in your word. I pray that it would be a benef benefit to all of us. I pray that you would take the message and speak to our hearts. We'll thank you for what you will do, what you will accomplish in this time. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. I want you to now, if you would, turn over to Psalm chapter number 51. Psalm chapter 51. The Word of God says in verse number one, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto thy multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and, sin, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts and in the hidden parts shalt thou make me, know to, uh, make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that thy bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. 
Hide not thy face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto thee, unto me, the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. It's hard to believe that both of these chapters are written by the same man. You read in Psalm 19 how David wrote God's law was perfect and that he wanted to be kept back from sin. You also see in chapter 19 that where David said, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. You know, it's easy to try to be a people pleaser. It's easy to go through life and try to please those that may be in our authority uh, figures, our parents, our pastor, even our uh, teachers and so forth, those that are, have authority over us. But David want, wanted God to be pleased with his life in every aspect, in every area of his life. How does a man go from the kind of language in Psalm 19 that we read to Psalm 51? What causes that in a person's life? The difference, I believe, is found in Psalm 51 and verses 3 and 4, where the Word of God says this, Psalm 51, verse 3, For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, and thee only have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and clear when thou judgest. You see, the difference here is found in the word sin. I'll tell you right now that sin in a person's life will make them unhappy. If you're not ready to give up sin, then you're not ready to be happy. You see, many get saved and they're happy and then a few years go by and they're out of church and they're, they're just not happy anymore. Something happened. I was uh, actually reading a, a passage of scripture and preached from it on Sunday in our church that uh, wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee. The word of God tells us to rejoice in the Lord, not in our circumstances. Revival can come even at a struggling point in our life, even at a difficult area of our life. And David said this, my sin is ever before me. What will you do that you will regret for the rest of your life? When I was a student here, I had the opportunity to meet a lot of different students, a lot of different people and different faculty and so forth. And through the years, you know, seeing different individuals and some going on to do great things for God, but then some that you don't hear anything else of. Some that aren't even with us anymore because of a decision they made in their life. I remember when I was a second year of uh, Bible college, on my first year, the summer, I got to travel with a singing group, with a uh, Soldiers of the Cross singing group here, and, and um, had a great summer with Brother Weaver and, and also uh, uh, Brother Winters, and some of you probably have heard of him or know him, but uh, had an awesome time with Brother and Mrs. Weaver, uh, singing with them and so forth, and and uh, that summer was a, a great summer. God did wonderful things, called me to preach that summer. The following summer, I had the opportunity to go and serve as an intern there at the church now that I pastor. 
And I got to uh, serve with the youth there. And I had an opportunity to work with teenagers. And I, I met a young girl that was, her name was Wendy. She was age 12. And she had just got into the youth department and she went to a youth rally with us while I was there that summer. And we got to go to a youth rally in a town called Dudleyville. How many know where Dudleyville is? That's why, because it's pretty Dudley. Uh, it's just a, you can laugh, it's okay. It's, we're, we're in chapel, but we can have a good time. But it's a, it's a place that is, uh, it's a really small town and so forth, but there was a, uh, I believe even a group there was uh, singing and so forth. And we got to go uh, to this youth rally and on the way home from the youth rally, it was about an hour and a half drive and she made it uh, her uh, purpose to sit in the front seat. And she had a, a purpose to sit in the front seat because she wanted to ask some questions. I was driving. And she said, she asked this question, it was kind of caught me off guard. She said this, she said, if somebody takes their life, do they go to heaven? And I had the opportunity right there in, in, uh, while we're driving home to begin to explain to her that it really matters not how a person dies in this, in this life, it matters if they have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I began to share with her scripture and I began to witness to her. And about 30 minutes into that drive home, I said, you know, Wendy, you can get saved right now in your seat. Do you know that you can get saved and you can be on your way to heaven? You don't have to wait to pray at an altar. You can get saved right now. And right there in her seat on the front uh, uh, seat there on the way home in the church van, she trusted Jesus Christ as her personal savior. And what a joy it was. It was a joy to see her uh, on fire for the Lord that summer, so excited about what God had done in her life. And uh, Wendy uh, went, on, uh, uh, went on to uh, go to school, and I came back to school here, kind of lost touch uh, that, that year, and, and uh, I came back, and, and uh, Wendy started getting involved in, in school pretty heavily because Wendy was a, actually a very beautiful young lady. And she began to get in uh, high contracts with, with uh, the um, uh, doing modeling, like commercials and doing, uh, 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 you know, promoting different uh, things and everything. Not, not necessarily what you would say, bad modeling, you could say, but it, it was, she got in, involved with that type of thing. And it was 15 years of age. Uh, you know, I hadn't really known anything about her. I came on staff there at Cornerstone and and it was uh, just years into that, and come to find out, we got a phone call that Wendy Bishop had taken her own life. You know, as I thought about that, I thought, how does a person go from so excited about living for the Lord, couldn't wait to tell her parents, and here's what she wrote. She wrote a note and she said this, I did something I could never forgive myself for. You know, how can a person get to that point in their life? If you live for the Lord, you will have no regrets. If you come to the place where all of a sudden everything's great and everything's grand and then all of a sudden you, you, you go to that place to a place where you take your own life, if you want your joy back in your Christian life, there are some steps that you can take to get that. David said, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. 
there's times in our life where circumstances may remove the joy for a moment, but you must come to the Lord and get that joy back in your life. So what are some steps to get the joy back? Well, first of all, mercy, you have it. Mercy, you have it. You know, you are under God's mercy. Why doesn't he just wipe us all out as beyond me? I mean, think about all the sins, all, this, all the things we've done in our life. None of us can truly understand or grasp the depths of the mercy of God. If you did not have the mercy of God, you would already be dead. You see, when you sin, you need mercy. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews chapter number four. Hebrews chapter number four. Hebrews 4, and the Word of God says in verse number 16, 15, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. You see, you can get the joy back of God if you want it, because it goes on to say in Hebrews chapter 4, in verse number 16, he says, Sorry, I skipped that pass, passage. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain, what's the next word? Mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. We can get the joy back in our life if we ask God for mercy. You see, how many ever played the game mercy when you're growing up? You played the game mercy, you'd grab it somebody's hands and you'd say, ready, set, go. And the first person to turn their hands over and, and the first person to say the word mercy, you got it, right? That's how quickly you got it. And you know, that's the thing about the, the Lord. You can have mercy in your life, but we in our pride oftentimes will stay in our sin instead of begging God for mercy. The book of uh, Psalms chapter 109 and verse 21 says this, But do thou for me, O God, the Lord, for thy name's sake, because thy mercy is good, deliver thou me. Thy mercy is good, and it's for his name's sake, not for you. It's because that's who he is. It's that's what he does. We find in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4, But God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. For he loved us even when we were dead in trespasses and sins. So when the word of God says in Psalm 51, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto thy tender mercies, uh, blot out my transgressions. David said, It's me that's done the wickedness, but it's you that will remove the sin. Mercy, you have it. You know, his mercy is available for salvation, but his mercy is also available for sanctification. Mercy, you have it. Secondly, cleansing, you need it. Notice in verse 2. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. You know, God is the only one who can cleanse you inside out. David wanted complete cleansing. Understand only God can cleanse your heart. He says in verse number seven, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. And when God cleans your heart, he does it completely. 
completely. Psalm 139 and verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You know, God does the best cleansing job there is. God does the the, the complete job. God will, will also find things that you and I might not even be aware of. Sometimes a message will hit home when you're, when you think you're doing pretty good. I remember when in Bible college, certain times I thought, you know, I have everything covered. I'm good. I don't need anything else. And somebody would come in and preach a message and hit me right between the eyes. Have you ever been there? You think like everything's good, I have all things taken care of, and then all of a sudden the Lord speaks to your heart. He reveals things to you that you didn't even know were there. You will not have joy if you're not a clean Christian. You can go through life and you can go through the motions, but David said, created me a clean heart, and so he wanted the joy back in his life. So mercy, you have it. Cleansing, you need it. The question thirdly is joy, do you want it? Do you want it? Verse number 12, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. David wanted it back. If you've lost your joy, you need it back. Uh, now, I, I won't uh, encourage you to do this, but I'm going to take out my phone because I want to read something for you that was sent to me. This was October 17th of last year. It's, it's from a young man that's in our church. And he said, uh, not important, please ignore if you're busy. Or even if you just don't want to read it, don't totally, I, I, I understand. I'm so sorry to bug you again, please don't even bother with me if you're busy. First off, I'm totally fine, 1,000%. Please read till the end before you say or do anything. I thought your message tonight was very interesting. I've been struggling with suicide for a while. This morning I was debating slipping out during the first prayer, driving to the end of 40th, hiking to a quiet spot and shooting myself. But then a guy in church sat next to me and I didn't want to have to answer his text as to why I left. My life doesn't have a point. God doesn't have a plan for me. God doesn't even like me. And I get it. I don't even like me. I don't belong anywhere. I've never felt more alone. But I'm scared to death, no pun intended, to die and meet God. I pray almost daily that God will just delete me. No heaven, no hell, just gone. Never was, never will be. Of course, that prayer has yet to be answered. God doesn't owe me any mercies. I know that. If I die now, God will hate me forever. But if I die of old age, I will have just sinned more, and God will then hate me even more. If I even go to heaven. The Bible says losers who do what I do won't inherit the kingdom of God. So I guess it's anyone's guess. I'm not real sure why I'm telling you all this. I guess I just wanted to tell someone after all this time, and your message seems oddly perfect time. Sorry if I'm coming across as dramatic. I'm fine. I signed up for an activity on the 23rd. I'm going to make it, so I'm not in danger. If I don't reply, I'm asleep, not dead. I get up at 4.30 in the morning for work. 
Please don't tell everyone this. I understand your wife. You should never have to keep secrets from her, but I really do not want this coming back to me. I've Googled stuff like this and read horror stories of police being called on losers like me. Please don't. Again, I'm fine. And after getting that, you know, of course, as a pastor, you're saying, how can I help this young man? So I began to reach out to him, began to talk to him, began to counsel with him, began to, uh, he began to tell me different things that were in his life and different problems that he was having and so forth. And so that started a lot of different texts back and forth, phone calls back and forth, hanging out together, doing things together. And a few weeks later, he said, I've started to drive to church last night, about 20 minutes drive, and I decided to pray a quick prayer. Turned into a longer prayer that basically lasted the whole ride. I'm done trying. I'm done fighting. I can't do this, any of this. And of course, as I'm reading this, I'm going, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. From the deepest, most honest part of my soul, I told Jesus that I want what he wants for me. And with his help, I'll go where he wants me to go. And I mean that. I still find that a tad scary, but so scary, not so scary as the alternative. And then your message last night was amazing. I feel like I'm actually broken now. I think of the song, it's all for you now, this empty vessel you fill, for you to fill with your glory divine, all dreams forsaken, your will I've taken, surrender holy, victory is mine. And that's not even the half of it. Close to two weeks ago, I feel like everything just clicks. My addiction, it's actually under the blood of Jesus. I can't explain it, but it's not an issue anymore. I don't have it, but Jesus does. I didn't get saved, praise the Lord. I've been saved for a while, but everything makes so much more sense. I always work alone. I usually listen to a worldly podcast, but now I actually listen to sermons and Christian podcasts. I never even thought I would actually want to do that, but I do. We are not here long on this earth, and I pray God uses me however he sees fit. Nothing held back. May God keep it that way. January of this year, he sent me another text. I made a few New Year's resolutions. One is to pray more. I plan with God's help to stop praying or start praying for you on a daily basis, something I'm ashamed to say I've not always done in the past. So I wanted to begin by asking you if there's any specific need that you would like me to pray for. At the moment, I've been praying for God's guidance in your life, God's protection from temptation, from people who may come about to drain you of your energy, and that God restores you daily to keep you away from burnout. And I know that I said to you, but I've also been praying both for you and your wife. He says, between you and I, close to two months ago, I wrote a note, hiked into the desert in the middle of the night to shoot myself. The only thing that stopped me was fear that Jesus would say or do when he saw me. I know it was only two months, not even that, but that's not me anymore. I can't even begin to explain this all. The last few weeks have been amazing. You know my besetting sin? God, these are just multiple texts, by the way. But God's grace, I've been free since December 25th, but recently temptation's gotten bad. I don't know why now, but it has. And to be honest, I've been overcome with fear. God has taken me so far. If I were to fail now, I don't know what God would do. There were times when temptation was stronger that I could begin to wonder if I could make it out clean. And if not, I'd maybe die, uh, maybe dying before I failed would be better to enter heaven clean. But over the last few weeks, and especially today, I keep hearing the same thing in different ways. In a prayer meeting, and two sermons, I listen while I work. And lastly, in your message, driving home tonight, I was just praying, God, what are you saying, that I can sin? Of course not. Then what? And I think I finally understand that if we fail, 
And if we fall, God will still be there. So sin that grace may abound, God forbid. But when we do sin, like you said, don't give up. Move on with God. All things are possible. You know, when I think of that young man, I think of a, a young man that's going up and down in his Christian life. I see a young man that is, that is struggling, but he found answers when he found Jesus Christ. He found answers when he got uh, right with God and he got his joy back in his life. By the way, he was at a missions trip this year. God's using him in a great and mighty way. He's there every service and you're sitting there saying, how does a person go from that? They wanted their joy back and they got it back. They got it back from cleansing. They got it back from mercy that is available to him. You know, Satan had taken his joy and he got it back. If you want your joy back, all you have to do is confess your sin. In verse number three, he says, I acknowledge my transgression. Agree with God that it's wrong. In verse number four, against thee and thee only have I sinned. Mean it. In verse 17, the sacrifices of God are of a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. You see, God will restore, not reject the broken heart, but he hates pride. Do you want joy this morning? Can you truly say that you're happy in the Lord? Have you ever been happy in the Lord? My wife was saved in Bible college. I remember her telling me the story that she was praying that the preacher would stop preaching so she could run down the aisle and get saved. You see, I'm not naive to think that every person that comes to Bible college knows the Lord. If there's never been true joy or peace in your life, I mean, you can get saved today. We took another young man on a missions trip and he was there. He did some speaking, gave some testimonies. He gave me a text a couple weeks later. I had preached a message on Judas and uh, uh, talking about the lost disciple and how he had fooled everyone and different things. And, and uh, his name was Jack. And he said, I need to talk to you, pastor. I thought he was maybe telling me I'm, I'm called to Bible college. I'm called to preach. Man, this guy was just serving the Lord. He's there every week. Finally, I met with him and he said, I'm not saved. I said, what? I mean, you're more faithful than everyone else. He said, I know. He said, and that's what Satan's been holding over me so many times. He said, but I can't do it anymore. He said, I'm a Judas. I'm not saved. If I died right now, I wouldn't go to heaven. I said, well, Jack, you know exactly what to do. And I right there in my driveway, I led him to the Lord. And of course, he already knew what the verses said. He had been telling others about it. He'd been giving scriptures to everyone else, but he wasn't saved. I'm telling you, Jack's got a real smile on his face. It's not about uh, showing off anymore. It's not about, hey, just praise the Lord and all these different things. It's real, true joy in his life. You know, I preached this uh, passage today and I have to admit something, it's not my own. This uh, message, I actually came across, it was preached by my youth pastor. My youth pastor, uh, one day he uh, decided to go off and make money and pursue money instead of serving the Lord with his life anymore and started doing things where he'd get tips of four and five hundred dollars. He worked for a place called Rawhide making steaks and doing big parties for 
people like Shaquille O'Neal and different things like that, and he would brag about how much money he'd make. And, and so he began to do that, and he stopped going to church, and he uh, was out with some friends. And he got out with some friends, and he decided to uh, start drinking. And his last words that were recorded from what I've heard where he said this to his friends, let's continue this party at home. He got on his motorcycle and began to go down the street and at high rates of speed, he got pulled over from the police. Police ran his plates and he took off at a high rate of speed running from the cops. At speeds at over 100 miles an hour, another police officer was joining in the chase because they began to chase him and he was making a turn and he turned right in front of him and he came right over the top of a hill and T-boned that police officer and was killed instantly. Wasn't only my youth pastor. He was my brother. I still remember the call. Got called up to Dr. Getch's office my freshman year of school. Dr. Getch took us, and I had other brothers and sisters here. And I thought, what, what did I do? <laughs> I mean, I, I came to Bible college not really wanting to be here. I thought I was in trouble, and I didn't even know what I had done. And I walked in and began to see my other siblings there, and I knew something was wrong. My dad was on a conference call. He said, your brother Paul's been killed on a motorcycle. See, it hit home hard to me. Because not only was he my brother, and I wanted to be just like him. He was my youth pastor. I wanted to be just like him. But the last time I got to see my brother, it was on his birthday, December 25th. 2000. It would have been 2001. And I remember my brother pulled up and he was telling me all the things. You know, I had committed to one year Bible college at that point. And he pulled up and he had his beautiful girl driving a Corvette. I walked out there and I was like, wow, man, this is awesome. And he looked at me and he said, John, you don't want this. You want that. And he pointed to my parents. My parents didn't have anything. You got a car. You got beautiful girl. You got money. You got popularity. You have all of these things. And he said, it's like the Lord almost allowed him to know that his days were limited. I know the story well because I bought the motorcycle when I was in rebellion against my parents. My dad said, you can't have one. I loved motorcycles because of my brother, Paul. I still love motorcycles to this day. And I had bought it and I had sold it to him when I went to school. Actually, when, when they ran the plates for my brother, when they pulled him over, it came up as me. They went to my parents' home and they said, your son John's been killed on a motorcycle. And they said, that's impossible. He's at West Coast. And I'm thinking this, I told my parents, I don't want to go to school. I don't want to serve the Lord with my life. I want to live my own life. 
And that could have been me on that motorcycle. That could have been me. God allowed me to live. We were just talking about an accident that I had on Avenue K. K and 40th Street there. I was hit by an 18-wheeler my freshman year of school. Nothing left of my car, but I was alive. I walked away. All these different things that happened that first year of school, God had to break me to get me to a point to say I had no money, I had nothing, and then I realized I had the Lord. That summer I got to travel with Brother Weaver and Mrs. Weaver, God called me to preach. I met my wife on that summer. All those different things. And I'm thinking, how is it that God allows somebody to do that? Because if you want restoration, if you want joy in your life, you can have it. Back in my office, I still have an old, um, it's an old Fila box. And you'd say, what's the big deal? I've had it since I was in high school. Fila shoes used to be pretty popular. They're coming back. I don't know why, but they're coming back. And in that box, I have a lot of different messages when I was in Bible college. A bunch of different mementos when God called me to preach. Different messages that were spoke from this pulpit and spoke from this platform and all these different things that God used in my life. And I have those messages and I have this message the only thing I have for my brother. It was written about one year before his accident. And it says this, I'll tell you right now, sin in a Christian's life will make him unhappy. Psalm 51, Psalm 19. These two Psalms don't even sound like they're from the same guy. What's the difference? David said, I have sinned. If you're not ready to give up your sin, you're not ready to be happy. My sin is ever before me, he says in verse number three. You can't forget it. What are you going to do that you will regret for the rest of your life? Living for God, you will have no regrets. You say, I want my joy back? Okay. Mercy, you have it. You are under God's mercy. If you didn't have God's mercy, you would already be dead, physically and spiritually. Cleansing, you need it. Only Jesus can cleanse your heart. When God cleanses your heart, he does it completely. Joy, do you want it? Confess your sin. Agree with God that it was wrong and mean it. The one thing that I have for my brother, the summer after I got to tour, I got to go home for the, for the Christmas time, and, and I began, I got my brother's room. I walked in his room and, uh, you know, it was, it was empty. It was, uh, uh, you know, a lot of the other siblings were gone. And so he had his room there for a while. And, and I went in there and I found this, this box. And in this box was a few clothing items. A few clothing items and a few little trinkets of different things. And uh, there was a little black book in there. And in that little black book was just full of messages that he had preached. And this is one of them. As a family, we only got to spread out some of his belongings because all he had left were a few clothes and his messages. 
I wish I had come across this on December 25th. I would have said, Paul, cleansing, you need it. Joy, do you want it? Hey, I would have been able to say, mercy, I have it. The few things I have of him is a picture and his message. You walk into our parents' house. I'm one of 11 kids. Paul, my oldest brother. You walk in and there's a family of my brother-in-law, Mike and Deborah, and they have nine children. Then you walk in and you see a family of Mark and Lydia and they have three children. And you see a picture of Dave and Rachel and they have four children. You see a picture of uh, uh, Phil and Jennifer and you see they have six children. Then you see a picture of us and we have uh, five children. And then you see a picture of uh, Sarah and you see a picture of Bethany and all the family and you see this big family picture. And over on the wall, all by itself, is this picture of my brother and one of his messages. You see all the family, you see the, the, what God's done in, in people's lives and you see over there and you'd say, really the only thing that he had that was worth anything should have been most valuable to him, but he left them behind. You know, when you come to Bible college, you're gonna hear a lot of messages. You're gonna hear a lot of truth from the word of God. The greatest thing that you can take with you is the word of God and what it does for you. Don't leave the messages behind. Don't leave the most valuable thing that you will get in life behind. When, the, when the, I got the news after Dr. Uh, Getch told us I had it in my mind that I was just going to give up. Well, hey, if this is what it's going to take, I mean, I'd lost my, my car, I'd lost my job, I'd lost ever, all these different things that happened before the year I was going to tour and, and uh, uh, go with the school. And I was going to go tell the, the, the faculty, okay, I'm going home. And I had a little friend here. His name was Adam Carnes. I said he's a little friend because he was little. One of my best friends. And I remember going, I was about to go to Founders Hall and that was when Founders Hall was a cool place. That was like the best place on campus. And I was about to go to Founders Hall and pack up my stuff and Adam comes out of his class with tears in his eyes, put his arms around me. He said, it's not your fault. Don't give up on God. I didn't have this message. But periodically, I'll go through that box and I'll pull out message after message after message of what God did in my life to remind me I need my joy back in my Christian life at times. I need to get back to where I should have been. I need to get back to where I once was. And it's a reminder to me, don't leave the messages behind because that's the thing that's most valuable that will keep you going through school, and through life. You're going to hear some great messages from this pulpit. Do something with them. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Let's all stand this morning. I had another message that I was about to preach.
And the Lord wouldn't let me get away from this one. It's the only one I have of my brother. Don't leave him behind. Whatever message that speaks to your heart, whatever God calls you to do, don't forget what God did in your life. Mercy, you have it. Cleansing, you need it. Joy, do you really want it? Do you truly want the joy of the Lord in your life today? You can restore the joy of your salvation. Maybe you're here this morning and heaven's not your home. You're not saved. Stop fooling yourself. Just get it settled. If you need to come today, you come. Let the Lord do business with your heart. Would you come?